principle concerning conviction and preferences. Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 8, Hebrews 13 and 8, let's read that one, and then we'll turn over one page to the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 8, and we'll read a verse of scripture there. Hebrews 13 and 8 and James 1 and 8, and we'll see the difference between conviction and preference in these two verses of scripture. In Hebrews 13 and 8, the Bible said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That's conviction. The reason our Lord doesn't change is conviction. He's the same yesterday as he is today, and he's the same today as he will forever be. Conviction never changes. Conviction doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You might leave the word Jesus Christ in there, don't take it out, but you could write conviction. The same yesterday, today, and forever, and that would be the truth. If it's conviction, it's the same today as it was yesterday, and it's going to be a conviction forever, if it's a conviction. If it's a preference, it will change. In the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible said, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A man who's if guides and follows, guided by preferences rather than convictions, God said he is unstable in all his ways. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. Why? Because he doesn't have convictions. Now, I'm going to look at two men in the Bible. I preached about one this morning, Balaam. Balaam represents a man that is led by preferences. I'm going to preach about the second man, Paul. Paul represents the man that's led by convictions. We're going to look at these two men, Balaam. The followed preference. Paul, the man that followed convictions. Father, I pray tonight that you would bless. It's your family. We need, we need, I know I need, and I know Victor Baptist, I believe Victor Baptist needs what you're giving us right now. Yes. I thank you that you know how to meet our needs. And Lord, I want to see, and I know you want to see a church here in Bedford County that operates by convictions. Now, my Lord, you want your people to operate by convictions, not by preferences. You want us to have some convictions, and just like we said about Jesus, our convictions will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. They'll never change. And Father, I know a lot of folks right now that remember this church. They, they just have preferences. They don't have convictions. If there's folks here tonight that don't understand the difference, I pray that they will. There's folks here tonight that don't have the proper kind of convictions. I pray that before this night's over that you would establish those convictions in our hearts and help us to realize that our convictions cannot change. Preferences do. Convictions don't. There's those that's here tonight that's never been saved. I pray that even in the preaching of this sermon, where it's basically for God's people, that you would cause those to be brought under conviction and the want to put in their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's examine, first of all, the man that's led by preferences. His name is Balaam. The story is told about Balaam over in the book of Numbers. So turn with me back to the book of Numbers, if you will, to Numbers chapter 22. There's 13 steps in this chapter and a few chapters forward about the disastrous end of Balaam, the man that was led by preferences. In the book of Numbers chapter 22 and verse 6, Balak the king of Moab had sent for Balaam and the people of God were marching, toward, uh, were marching toward Moab. He sent for Balaam and he said, I want you to curse these people. I want you to pronounce the curse of God upon them. And that's where our story opens in verse 6. The Bible said, Come now therefore I pray thee and curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. And then in verse 8, the Bible said that he sent a group of people to where Balaam lived. And in verse 8, he was asking him to curse the people of God. And in verse 8, I want you to notice what Balaam did. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night. Now the first mistake that Balaam made was saying, I want you to stay with me. I want us to get together. I want you to stay in my home. 
Scripture said if somebody comes to you and don't bring the proper doctrine of Jesus Christ to you, don't you let him in your house, don't you bid him Godspeed. He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now that verse of Scripture teaches that there are some people that the children of God do not lie in their homes. I don't allow Mormons in my home unless I'm a witness to them. I've got no friends that are Mormons. I don't. I don't have any buddies that are Mormons. That's all there are to it. Uh, I don't allow Jehovah's Witnesses in my home. And there's a few folks that don't know how to go soul winning, so you don't bother with them. They won't even be out. They don't even know how to proselyte until you get saved. And so they've never, I've never, uh, I, I might offend somebody, I've never been visited by a Methodist. I've never been contacted by a Roman Catholic. I've never been visited by a Church of Christ. I've never been visited by a Presbyterian. I've been visited by a few other folks, but none of them, I've never been visited. Maybe you have, but I've never had one of those people to knock on my door and ask me, are you saved? Not in my entire life. But I have had some Mormons to show up. I have had some Jehovah's Witnesses to show up. You say, do you invite them in and have Bible study? I do not. I tell them right up front, we have absolutely nothing in common with you and your damnable doctrine. You say, you insult them? I try to. I try to. And then if they are interested, if you can get one mad enough, he might talk to you a little bit and you can witness to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I talk to him. I don't let them talk to me. I talk to them. Now, God said, don't you invite those folks into your home. I've known, I've known members of Victory Baptist Church that had Bible studies with Mormons. That's the truth. I've known members of Victory Baptist Church that said, well, now, wait a minute, Brother Jim, it's all right to find out what these Jehovah's Witnesses believe and invite them to come back. And then they call me and said, how can I get rid of them? I said, run them off. It's your house, amen. You don't have to. It's up to you who comes into your home. God said, don't let them in to start off with. Now, Balaam said, fellas, let's, let's talk this thing over. We'll just spend the night together and we'll fellowship a little bit. And then three, verse three, Balaam said, I'll go out here and I'll see what the Lord wants me to do. And God came unto Balaam and said unto him, What men are these with thee? Now God looked down and saw Balaam. He said, Balaam, where in the world did these folks come from? I'm convinced, Brother Dave, that God looks down in some of our churches and Brother Bobby in some of our so-called evangelistic campaigns and said, Where in the world? did these men come from? What in the world is that man doing preaching in a fundamental church? Uh, we, we have, we've got churches today that call themselves Bible churches, but every now and then they've got to invite the Roman Catholic priest to come in just to find out what Roman Catholics believe. Good night if you want to know what a Roman Catholic believes, read a book. Amen? I'm, listen, honey, it, there's not going to be a Roman Catholic standing in this pulpit unless he's been washed in the blood of the Lamb and born again and is out of that mess. Amen? I guarantee you that. Well, Brother Jim, every now and then we're going to invite this congregation to come over and be in our congregation. Honey, it's being done all over this nation except by the fundamentalist. And they have convictions and not preferences. And these people that are yoking up with the unbelievers and the false prophets 50 or 75 years ago, they stood just like you and I are standing today. But you know what happened one day? The prophets of Balak came and knocked on their door and they said, why don't you come in and set a spell? Why don't we sit down and get to know one another? I mean, surely we're all trying to go to the same place and we've got that in common and we all believe in Jesus Christ and, and, and so we'll just sit down in fellowship. Can do no harm fellowshipping with these folks. And he said, come on in. And God said, what in the world are you doing allowing these people in your home? And then old Balaam said, I'll go out here and I'll talk to God about it and, and pray and see what God's mind is. Uh, does God want me to come over there and join forces with Balaam and curse the children of Israel? And God said in verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Is that the mind of God? Talk to me. Is that the mind of God? He said, Balaam, don't you go with them. And don't you put a curse <coughs> upon my people. They're blessed people. <clears throat> then they went back and they told Balaam, said, Balaam won't cooperate. And Balaam said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll send back over there and, and, and I'll offer him prestige. In verse uh, uh, 
16, right part of that, he said, Let nothing I pray thee hinder thee from coming unto me. And then he said, uh, Balak is talking to Balaam. He said, I will promote thee unto very great honor. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Balaam, if you'll come over here, I'll bestow upon you a doctor's degree. That's what he's saying. He said, if you'll come over here and join up with my group, then I'm going to see to it that you're going to have more doors open to you than you can go in in a year. If you'll come over here with my group, the first thing you know, you won't be driving around in an old Ford with the fenders flopping, but honey, you'll be driving in Cadillacs and Rolls Royces. You'll be wearing diamonds, not even on a jet airplane or two. Huh? Well, I'm, I'm getting on this now. Might even have a big old ranch down here on Interstate, Louisiana, that's got a big high fence around it and second-story swimming pools and big Cadillacs parked in front of it. That's Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is in trouble, boy, I'll tell you it is. Oh, if you go with me, then you might be able to buy you a little, uh, a little, uh, a $500,000 house up in the Gatlinburg. Or another down Palm Springs and on the top store in the, maybe Charleston, someplace like that. If you'll just go along with me and do what I say, I can promote you, boy. Balaam said, I'll pray about it. Well, why should he pray about it? Why should he pray about that? You know why he prayed about it? Because he didn't have conviction to do what God told him to do in the Bible. Now, God's already told him his mind back up here in verse 12. He said, Thou shalt not go with them. And I don't have much sense, but if God told me, don't you go, I believe he meant it. Now he said, we're going to promote you, and we're going to, we're going to invest our lives in you, and next thing you know, you can have a nationwide radio program, a nationwide television program, and you can reach the millions, and we're going to pick you up, boy, and put you in the limelight. He said, I'll pray about it. Should he? No, he shouldn't have prayed about it, because God's already told him his mind in verse 12. So he goes out and prays about it, and God does the strangest thing you've ever seen in your life. The Bible said that he answered, and, 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 and he said, and Balaam, in, in verse, uh, uh, verse 18, and, and Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now therefore, I pray you tell ye also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. And in verse 20, God said, and God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. Somebody said, God's changed his mind. No, God hasn't changed his mind. The direct will of God was for him to be ever and a day separated from the people of Balak. He said, don't you go with them, don't you have anything to do with them, and God said it, and that order settled it. Amen? And when they came and offered this man honors, he said, let me pray about it again. God said, okay, go on. You say God's changed his mind. No, God's not changed his mind. God knows what's in the heart of Balaam. When God said, I don't want you to go with them, I don't want you to fellowship with them, that ought to settle it for Balaam, if he had convictions. But he didn't have conviction. And so they offered him a little bit more. He went back before the throne of God, prayed again. God said, okay, go. When he said, don't go, that was God's direct will. That was the place that Balaam could have been blessed. That was the place that Balaam could have received the power of God. And he said, I'm going back and I'm going to pray about this other thing because that promotion sounds pretty good. And he logicked all that thing out in his mind. He said, my goodness, if I get over here in this camp that I can preach on television and I can reach the millions, well, if I stay in this camp, all I can reach is just one local congregation. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's God's will to reach this world through the local New Testament church. I'm not against television ministries per se. But I am against any television ministry that would milk the church for finances. Right, right. And I'm, you, I'm against these people that said, I pastored the church on the radio. There ain't no church on the radio. The only church that the Lord Jesus Christ organized was a physical, visible church that you could come to, join, put your money in, support missionaries, preach your funerals, uh, and uh, marry your uh, children, and bury your dead, and teach you the word of God. Visit you when you're sick. Hold your hand when you're dying. 
There's never been a television or a radio ministry that could ever minister to people like God intended for the local church to minister to people. But yet we've got folks today that's been disgruntled with the local church. They've got out of, some of them Bible preaching churches, and by the way, some of them's got out of churches that they ought to get out of. But they ought to find them another church and join up that church and start supporting Jesus in a church that preaches the word. They shouldn't sit at home and let Jerry Farwell or Jimmy Baker or Jimmy Swaggart be their pastor. They need a man that they can call on the telephone and say, Junior had a call left tonight. He's down. Can you come to the emergency room and pray with him? Amen. Amen. Jerry Farwell can't do that. Jimmy Swagger can't do that. Jimmy Baker can't do that. And by the time you reach them, honey, old Junior might be dead. You need a local pastor that you can reach out to. You need a local church that you can come and sit and let that local church minister to your spiritual needs. Now that's God's direct will. But I tell you one thing, if this church decided to ecumenicalize, if this church decided to vote uh, and that the Roman Catholic priest could come over here one Sunday out of the year and stand in this pulpit and preach his garbage, God would let us do it. Just like God has allowed hundreds of churches across this nation to already do it. That's God's permissive will. Now, Balaam has stepped out of God's direct will and he's got in God's permissive will. And God said, go ahead. He got on his donkey, you know the story, and the angel of the Lord stood out there with a sword drawn and the donkey had more wisdom and more sense than Balaam did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Three times the donkeys backed on him. One time he laid down Balaam with a cushion and a ticket and a whip in his donkey. And finally God opened Balaam's eyes and he all of a sudden got the message that the donkey had already had. Yeah. Amen? But he went on. He went on. He went on. He went on. Let's go on with our story now. He's in God's permissive will. And in verse 8... He gets over there and he told Balak, he said, the only thing that I can preach is the word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. Verse 38. Brother Bobby, he's still preaching the book. He's still preaching the word of God the way he wrote it, but he's preaching it with the wrong group. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's the reason, that's the reason, Dave, if Billy Graham ever came over here at the horse show grounds, he will, but if he did, I couldn't get our church involved in that kind of situation. He preaches a good message with a wrong crowd. Good message with a wrong crowd. I'm not going to run around with Roman Catholics. That's the reason tonight this church has to pay for radio time. We're not members of the Ministerial Association, and other churches in this county get radio time given to them because their pastor and their church is a member of the Ministerial Association. Let me tell you what I think about the Ministerial Association. I like that, that, that lily right there more than I do the Ministerial Association. I do. It's got no life in it, the Ministerial Association. I've been to those jaybirds. I don't know what they are. I had a figure with their bowling match one day. Some fellow, I called him up. We tried a little issue going. I said, let's get the pastors organized in Bedford County. I couldn't organize anybody in Bedford County. I thought, man, this is a grand thing. I'll take my little petition up. I'll get these pastors to bring it back to their churches, and we'll get something going here for the glory of God. I called this pastor up. He was a Methodist man. He said, yes, preacher, I'll sign it. I'll sign it in a minute. He said, as a matter of fact, the Ministerial Association meets tomorrow at the Bowling Alley. It's up here on the 41 going out toward Unionville. Used to be out there. And he said, we meet tomorrow for our weekly bowling match. You just come up there. All the guys will be there. And I got up there, and I told him what I wanted. And the Roman Catholic priest... He just made all manner of fun of me and my petition and said, I'll not sign anything like that. And the next guy said, I can't sign it. And the next guy said, I'm not going to sign it. Next guy said, count me out. And finally it got down to that last Methodist preacher that said, if you'll come up here, they'll sign it. And I looked at him and his face got red. He said, I I guess I'd better go along with the crowd. That's what happens to Bowens. That's what happens to people that don't have conviction. They go along with the crowd. There's your preference, preacher. I mean, if the Roman Catholic said, Yes, bless God, I'll sign it, every one of those other little sisters would have signed it. They bowed down to a Roman Catholic priest 
It's not even saved. They said, we had rather follow the Roman Catholic priest and his damnable doctrine than to follow the word of God. You know why? Because they had no conviction, that's why. You know why Balaam was over there in that camp? Because they had no convictions. He had no convictions. He said, but I'll get over there in that camp, and I want you to know the only thing that I preach to him when I'm in that camp is exactly what God t- tells me to preach. In verse 41, the Bible said, And it came to pass that on the morrow that Balaam took Balaam and brought him up into the high places of Baal, and thence he made to see the utmost part of the people. And it came to pass that after he went over there and said, The only thing I'm going to preach is the word of God, O Balaam said, Let's go over here where Baal is worshipped. Now you know what this fundamentalist has done that had no conviction? He's jumped right out of a fundamentalist cap and... Alvin, he's over here where they're worshiping Baal. You can't find a more wicked, heathenistic form of worship in the world. You know where it all started? The first night that he invited those people to come in. Yeah. You know what put the icing on the cake? They offered him some promotion. He began to think about it. He said, well, after all, I'm going to him and preach the word of God. Where is he preaching it? In the temple of Baal. No born-again believer's got a right to be in the temple of Baal. Folks, I can't even tell you some of the wicked, compromising, low-down, sinful things that's done in that temple of Baal. Many of the prostitutes in the temple of Baal. Are you listening to me? They worship. Oh, good. Now, I can't tell you what they worship. You come to me after church, you fellows, and I'll tell you what they worship in the temple of Baal, and then you can go home and tell your wife what they were worshiping in the temple of Baal. This is where the man of God found himself right. Because one night, he said, it won't do any harm for me to open my door and invite them in, sit down in my couch, and discuss the work of God with them. But it does do harm. It violates conviction. It violates Bible separation. Now, let's go on with the story. In verse 2, and Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. Now watch what he's done. He's left the camp. He said, I'm going over here to preach the word of God. He ended, ended up in the temple of Baal, the most wicked place he could find, and now he is worshiping with Balak. Now he and a man that knows absolutely nothing about God are supposedly joined forces for the glory of God. And he's worshiping, he's offering sacrifices upon the altar with a man that's a heathen, with a man that worships male prostitutes. Wicked, vile, sinful. But there he is offering things with this awful man. And I want you to notice, he's just as sincere about it as he can be. Verse 10, he said, and I'm in chapter 23, verse 10. He said, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. He's still sincere. You know what he's saying? He said, I want to die. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is important. He said, I want to die like the righteous. But Ed, he didn't want to live like the righteous. Huh? Am, am I still preaching? This man of God said, Let me die the death of the righteous, but between now and the grave, I'm not going to live like the righteous supposed to live. There's a lot of Balaam's today in this old world. When I die, I want to die doing the will of God, but between now and my death, I'm not concerned about the will of God. I've got little preferences here that I'm going to put before convictions. Convictions don't change. Preferences do. Now then, let's turn to the book of Numbers chapter 25, if you will. Numbers chapter 25, beginning with verse 1, The Bible said, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Belpeor, and the angel of the Lord was uh, the angel of the angel of the Lord was kindled against Israel. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay every one his men that were joined unto Baal Verse 9, the Bible said, And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. Now what happened? Watch it. One man. Let's, let's, let's put that down where we live. One pastor, Jerry, decided I'm going to live by preferences and not convictions. And so he allowed the hippie singers to come into his church. And he allowed the jazzy music to come into his church. And the next thing you know, he was inviting the lost world to come in and to entertain the people of God. And they began to see their pastor turned off with a Roman Catholic priest. They began to see their pastor sit down in council tables with false religionists. And all of a sudden they said, well, if our pastor runs with him, it's all right for us to run with him. Am I right? If the pastor does it, it's all right for you to do it. Come on. And and, and, uh, is not God's man supposed to be an example to the flock? I heard about one pastor here in Bedford County said, don't do like I do, do like I say. You know what that fellow was? He was a man that lived by preferences rather than convictions. If the pastor can't be the spiritual example in the church, he's not a good pastor. He's not the right kind of pastor. And when the people begin to see their preacher go wrong, the next thing you know, Charles, they were right out there marrying up with those more about women. And because they married up with those more about women, the Bible said 24,000 have lost their lives. God said, I'm not going to tolerate this, I'm not going to be put up with this, and he killed them. Uh, by the way, when you live by preferences, it always brings death. When you live by preferences, something's always going to die. You'll lose family. Come on. How many times have we had folks walk down this aisle and say, Brother Jim, I want to become a good, strong Christian for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stay in Victor Baptist Church, grow in grace, raise my family for the Lord, send see my children in heaven. That should have been their conviction, but that was just their preference. And then it got a little rough. The preacher asked for too much money. He didn't beg, but it offended somebody. There's members of our church right now, Mike, that didn't come to church this morning, even though it was Easter, because they knew that we were going to get up here and say something about money. Hobos. Skunks. I'll use your word. What would you think think about uh, me and you being partners in a debt? And I I shook hands with you and gave you my word, and I said, Bless your heart, I'll help you pay 50-50. We'll go right down the road. And, and when you paid your five, what do you think about folks that come to this church and say, I'm not going to be involved in the stewardship factor of this church. I'm not going to be involved in the giving aspect of this church. Let somebody else support the work. Let somebody else sacrifice. I'm just going to hobo my way. Well, they're, they're, they're cheats. They're cheats. Now, there's a lot of folks this morning preferred to come to church on Easter. But you won't see them again to Christmas or next Easter. And you know why you won't see them between now and Christmas and then from Christmas to Easter? Because they don't have any convictions. If they had convictions, they'd be right back here in church tonight. And they'd be right back here in church next Sunday. And they would be in church unless they were sick or there was a death in the family. And if there was a death in the family and it was local, they'd still show up in church. That's strange, isn't it? You let Sissy get sick on Monday. See how many families stay home from work. Come on. You let Sissy get sick on Sunday and the whole family stays home. There's a strange virus that's invaded this world. It's called churchitis. It strikes about 11 o'clock on Saturday night. You get this queasy feeling in the pit of your stomach. Your blood pressure runs up. Your eyes begin to bulge. Your neck hurts. Your head's aching. 
And we lost all day Sunday until about Sunday night at 7 o'clock, and it just goes away just like it came. And when the preacher shows up, I was sick Sunday. Am I right? You know why those jaybirds didn't come to church? Because they're living by preference rather than by conviction. If they had conviction, the Bible said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That's not all of the story. That's not all of the story. The Bible tells us the latter part of, of, of old uh, Balaam's end. Uh, let's see, it came over in chapter 31 and verse 8. The Bible said, and they slew the, the kings. And the Bible said in the last part of that verse, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. He didn't die the death of the righteous. He died in the camp of the wicked. Did you hear me? He perished the way he lived. He was a compromiser and he died with the enemy. Honey, I've got to die. And when it comes time for Jim to die, let me die with God's people. Let me die according to the old-fashioned Bible. Let me die preaching hellfire and damnation. Let me die calling the people of God back to righteousness. Let me die praying for revival to come to this nation. Let me die with people that believe the Bible is the Word of God. Amen. He didn't die that way. Amen. Here's your preference. Here's your preference. He marketed his gift. He could only see the natural way. He couldn't see God's grace. He taught the people to mix with the Moabites. They mixed married. They defied the separation. They abandoned their pilgrim character. I am a pilgrim. Let's see it. Amen. This world is not my home, and the people that's attached to this world are not my brothers and sisters. Let me tell you what the other class says. After all, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all the children of God. No, we're not. The only people that God's going to claim are those that's been blessed in the blood of the Lamb, and the rest of them will have to go to hell and separate their lives and souls from God forever and forever. We're pilgrims down here, honey. This world is not our home. Our home is yonder in God's celestial city, and don't you ever forget it. Amen? Let us remind ourselves of our heavenly country. This world is not ours. Heaven's ours. Heaven's ours. We got preferences or convictions. He looked good, he sounded good, but he changed. Why did he change? Because he ran with the wrong crowd. Because he began to learn the wrong ways. Because he loved the wrong things. And according to Numbers chapter 25 and verse 9, it cost the lives of 24,000 people. Let's examine a man led by conviction. Paul in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Philippians 3, 13. Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do, forgiving those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here's a man of conviction. Where did Paul get his convictions? I preached it last Sunday. He got his convictions when he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, Brother Lot Barris, where conviction seized on that man's soul, he got conviction. He saw Jesus. You know what the church of Jesus Christ needs to see tonight? Not the great... Hey, we don't need to go around and say, our pastor lives in the finest house in the town. But that's impressive. Our pastor drives the biggest limousine around here. That's impressive. Man, our church has got a television minister that goes worldwide. That's impressive. And the world says, boy, if they can do all that and got all that much money, it must be there in the will of God. That's impressive. Man, show the man that was in the will of God. He could, have had his, he could have had his jet airplanes, Brother Bobby. He could have had his limousines. He could have had his mansions if he just stayed where he was. But when he saw Jesus, there was something about that vision that he had of Jesus Christ that changed his whole life. And when people, God's people, get a vision of Jesus, they'll quit worshiping ministries. They'll quit worshiping men. 
They'll quit worshiping buildings. They'll quit worshiping schools. They'll quit worshiping denominations. And they'll start worshiping the man. They'll start worshiping the one that hung on the cross and died for him at Calvary. Paul saw Jesus. And honey, when we quit looking at Jesus and start looking at ministries, we start acting like Balaam's instead of Paul's. Keep your eye on Jesus, church. Keep your eye on the Son of God. I want you to see the results of Paul following Jesus. It cost him something. It cost him his job. It cost him his old friends. It cost him a family. And it cost him a life of ease. But I want you to know that convictions builds character. My mom and dad weren't saved when I was a child. But they had more character, brother. Bob has lost people as a lot of people that claim to be Christians today. I'm going to tell you something. I got in a fight one day. I got in a fight with Carol Moore's brother. I cussed him. I didn't cuss. I used God's name. I just cussed him. I called him every kind of vile, ugly name you could call a man. And he said, Why don't you leave your family out of it? And boy, we tangled. And after, after the fight, I mean, we had a, we had a fisticuff. We had a fight over on Madison Street School. And after the fight was over, I walked home saying, I wish I hadn't cussed. I was just as lost as I could be. My daddy was a lost man. My mama was a lost man. But I never heard my daddy use God's name in vain. I never heard my mama use God's name in vain. And that was the first time and the last time that this lost sinner ever used God's name in vain. I was convicted about it. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? And Alvin, there's some people that call themselves Christians talk like that in the public. I mean, I was lost. My mama and daddy had raised me with such character that when I cussed, I was convicted of it. When I lied, Brother Bobby, I was convicted of it. When I cheated, I was convicted of it. That's the truth. My folks weren't even saved. And, and we're raising our youngins today. They'll get mad and cuss like a sailor. And we're from the church. And, and some of our children are still like thieves. I was stole one time. My mama, I told you about stealing the penny piece of bubble gum. I did it ignorantly. I mean, back down you used to go into a store, you didn't go around with a shopping cart and pick up what you wanted off the shelves. You remember that? You went in and you told the man or the woman behind the counter, I want a loaf of bread. They went and bought it, bought it to you. You remember that? That's what it was where I came from. Got ready. They didn't have the plastic bags and little, they just, uh, department store just wrap it up in paper and tie a string around it. You walk out with it and they put it in your grocery bag and you pay for it. And I saw a man come in and this owner of the store would be busy waiting on somebody. They'd walk over to the Coke machine and get a Coke, cost a nickel. Get a Coke and down the Coke and they didn't pay for it. I said, well, I said, who's he going? He's going, he, he got that out of that machine over there. I'm, I'm six, seven, eight years old. I'm watching him. He got that out of that machine. When's he going to pay for that thing? And Adam, he did the strangest thing. He popped the top and downed his Coke. I said, what else he did before he downed his Coke? He walked over to the peanuts. And he got some peanuts and he poured his peanuts in his Coke. How many of you do that? Wait a minute, let me get my glasses on. How many of you pour peanuts in your Coke? Wait a minute, let me, let me look at it. Let me look at that. Just about everybody's in my generation. This, these, these youngers don't know what they're missing out on, do they? <laughs> and he'd drink his Coke, and then I'd leave, and I'd say, that man just got that Coke and drunk it and put those peanuts in and ate them, and he didn't pay for it. So I, my mom was buying groceries, and everybody was busy, and men was popping their Coke bottles, and I just said, well, there's a penny piece of bubble gum. <laughs> got home. I'm putting up the groceries. I got my bubble gum out now. She said, where'd you get that? I said, got it up the store while ago. She said, you pay for it? I said, no, I didn't pay for it. I said, that man's been drinking Cokes. I've been watching them. They just come in and get those Cokes. I said, that woman gives that stuff away. (laughs) 
She said, they pay for those Cokes. I said, no, they don't. I watched them open the Coke. I watched them put the peanuts in it. I watched them drink it and eat it, and they didn't pay for it. She said, they went and paid for that before they left that store. She said, here's a penny. Go back up there and pay for it. You know who that third grade, you know, you know who owned that store? My third grade teacher. Let me tell you what she looked like. She was about as skinny as that thing and was about that tall. That's what I remember. Her name was Miss Myrtle Bragg. Myrtle Reed. Myrtle Bragg. Myrtle. Her name was Myrtle. I went back up there. I looked up at that woman. I said, Mama, that store's been here. And I went back home. I cried all the way up there and all the way back home. But bless your sweetheart. I never stole another thing as long as I live. I was tempted to. I'm still lost, Dave. And my mom and dad used to babysit me by giving me a quarter or 30 cents and allowing me to go to a picture show every time it changed. And if I wanted to go and see the same show three or four times, they'd give me money. I, I was addicted. And I, I mean, the picture show, well, that was before television. And so the picture show was my babysitter. And I was walking to the picture show one day, and I looked down, and there was this pretty play gun. Laying on the side of the road, I said, man, I've always wanted a gun like that. Pearl handles, you know, chrome-plated, looked just like a forty-five. I said, man, I've always wanted a gun like that. And the whole time I was watching that picture show, I said, if that gun is still laying there on the side of that sidewalk, when I come by, I'm going to take it home. And when my mama asked me, where'd you get it? She's going to, like the bubble gum. I'm going to tell her I found it laying on the side of the road. That's right. And that yard was about as long as this church is from here to here. And that gun was laying in that corner of that yard. And when I went by, I picked up that gun, I put it in my back pocket, and I walked in conviction. I'm lost, my mom's lost, my daddy's lost, and when I got to the end of that thing, God's got a hold of me, I dropped the gun down and went on home. I couldn't bring myself to steal it. I wanted to steal it. Everything in me said steal it, but I couldn't steal it. You know why? Because my mom and dad had enough character to try to raise me right. I mean, they're lost. They don't know the first thing about God's Word, but yet they are in stealing. And listen, my generation, lost people, and that generation that preceded our generation had more decency and more morality than a lot of so-called Christians of today. And they didn't know the first thing about God. They didn't know the first thing about salvation, but yet they had convictions. They had character. Convictions brings character. You need to get some convictions about the Bible. Amen. Get your convictions about the Bible. A fellow told me the other day, he said, the thing I don't like about my church, there's about 49 different varieties of Bibles down there. I don't like it. Preference to put you in a church like that, convictions get you out of it. And if a man's got convictions about the Word of God, he's not going to attend that kind of mess. Amen? Amen. And when you just got preferences, I prefer to use the old book that brought revival. I prefer you use the old book that started the, uh, the great movement of Christianity. I prefer you use the old book that settled America. But if you don't, it's all right with me. Honey, that's preferences. That stinks in God's nostrils. You better get you some convictions about the Bible. You better get you some convictions about your church. What kind of church are you going to attend? Victor Baptist. May not always be the kind of church that it is right now. And when it's not the kind of church that it is right now, we better get us some convictions. We better live by our convictions and not by our preferences. You better get you some convictions about your home. What kind of home are you going to have? Holy home, submitted home, home that's got character. You better get you some convictions about your dress. You better can get you some convictions about how you're supposed to look. Convictions helps others. You could compare lives, the lives of Paul and the lives of Balaam. Balaam 
cost 24,000 people's lives while he was alive because of his preferences and lack of conviction. How many multiplied hundreds of thousands and millions has the life of Paul blessed and brought into the kingdom of God? Convictions pay. Preferences will get you in trouble, but convictions pay. They pay eternally. They pay in souls. And I'll tell you what. Convictions pay when it's time to die. God and your preacher can help people if they've got convictions. But neither God nor your preacher can help people that live by preferences. I can't help folks that live by preferences. God can't help folks that live by preferences. God can't bless folks that live by preferences. But he can bless folks that live by convictions. I saw this illustration last week and it so impressed me that I want to use it tonight. Well, I put all the kids to sleep already. No, I didn't. There's one little fellow over here who's not asleep. Brother Bobby, would you bring your young son up here? Stand right there, if you will. Bring your young son up here and stand right there. Okay. Uh, this fellow's got a lot of chin whiskers. Would you come over here and be Brother Bobby's daddy just for a minute? Brother Bobby, I want you to stand right there. Son, I want you to get right in behind your daddy. Charles, I want you to stand right in front of Bobby. And I want all of you to face just this way. Face this way. Face this way. Right here. Face up. Just turn around and face that wall right over there. Yes, sir. Now get, get behind him. Y'all line up. Get on over there. Now, I'm going to tell you, let's look at that verse. Let's look at this. I want you to see, this is Bobby, this is his son, and this is Bobby's daddy. His daddy's a preacher. His name's Bob Lamont. Now, I want you to see the truth here. That verse of Scripture says that I read about Paul. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. You know what's behind Bobby? You know what's behind him? The future is behind him. Hmm? Am I right? You're going to pass off the scene. But this boys he's the future of Victor Baptist Church. You know what's in front of him? The past. His daddy is in front of him. Am I right? Now, I want you, God said, you forget that which is behind, and you reach toward the future. You reach toward the past. You forget the future. It's back here. That's the future. Do you think that this man can go to this boy and say, son, I'm thinking about uh, a new ministry, and uh, I'm thinking about selling her home. And I want you to advise me. He can't do that. He can't go to this man and say, uh, tell me how to build a house. He can't go to him. This is the future. This man hasn't got the experience yet. But you know where he can go? He can go to the past. He can go over here to his daddy. I'm going to let this be Herbert Tedder. I can associate this. Born in 1921. Jim Tedder born in 1941. Rusty Tedder born in 1971. Now, if I keep reaching out toward the past, I get what this man knows. You know what he does? Brother Bobby, he reaches out toward the past, and he gets what his daddy knows. And he reaches out toward the past, and he gets what the next guy knows. But when he turns around, if old Jim ever turned around to Rusty and said, I want you to advise me, Rusty don't know how to advise me. He don't know. One day he'll know, but right now he doesn't know. So the thing for him to do, he's the future. But he's got to reach out to the past and say, guide me. And this fellow's got to reach out to the past and say, guide me. Now, now let me get two more. 
Alvin and y'all stand, get, get right out here in front of the church where it may be a little bit better. Alan, would you and, uh, and, and Lee, would you come? I'll, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just showing you an illustration now. Don't get all frustrated. Stand right here just like they do and face that wall. Well, and you can forget this parish. They don't even know how to wear shoes in the parish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's, he's ready to run at all times. That's what it is. I, I will, let me spell out just a little bit further. So I, will, I want you to see something here. We're going to let this fellow, bad example as he is, we're going to let him represent, we'll say, the first 600 years of Christianity. Give me some songbooks. Give me, give me. Give me five, give me three, give me three songbooks. That's all I need. Three songbooks. First 500 years of Christianity, that's what they learned. Second 500 years of Christianity, that's what they learned. And from 500 years to 1970, that's what they learned. Now watch it. They're all headed toward God, right? They're all headed toward eternity. This generation is about to pass off the scene. And so this fellow says, he reaches out to the past and says, give me what you know. Amen. Now he passes off the scene. He's gone. This fellow, he reaches out to the past. See, this is his daddy now. This is, represents five, six, seven hundred years of Christianity. He said, give me what you know. And he passes off the scene. Now you see, this represents where we ought to be, right here. We've got all of his knowledge and all of his knowledge and all of his wisdom. Here it is. He's got more than that fellow had. And he had more than this fellow had. And he's got more than either one of the two had. Now, we've reached this generation. And Brother Bobby turns around. And he looks at this generation and says, give me what you have. And this generation passes off the scene. Take him with you. What's he going to give him? What's he going to give him? You say, preacher, you're crazy. Thank you. You're crazy. That, that, that's a crazy illustration. Don't you think that's a Bible illustration? Don't you think that's what Paul is talking about? He said, I've got to forget that which is behind me, and I've got to keep reaching for that which is in front of me. That which is in front of me is, is the generations that's already gone off the scene. Now, I'll lead you back up here again. I do. I'm sorry. I set you down too quick. He turns around and he looks back to his son and says, give me what you have. Let me tell you what our generation did. Somehow or another, God bless America. But somehow or another, America, instead of reaching forward and reaching to the George Washingtons and Abraham Lincolns, you know what we're doing today, but we're building our George Washingtons and our Abraham Lincolns. We're, we're believing them. We're making them look like they're skunks. Instead of reaching forward and getting what our founding fathers had, this generation turned around to this generation and said, give me what you've got. Uh, we're going to fight a war now. Give me what you got. You don't know how to fight a war. You know the first thing about how to fight a war. And so what do we have? We got a bunch of draft dodgers. We got a bunch of people that when we went to war, the war, it was that younger generation that rose up and said, "We shouldn't fight it. We shouldn't get involved in it. We're going to we're going to go up to Canada." We got a generation that looks at this generation and said, "Give me your clothing." We got mamas and minis and grannies and minis. Because they looked to the wrong generation. Bless your sweetheart, if they looked to those generations already gone by, they wouldn't be wearing those mini skirts. Amen. I, I'm preaching. Amen. I'm telling you. We looked around and said, How should a man look? He said, Well, I think a man ought to wear earrings. I think I ought to get him a gold necklace, make his shirt, and comb his hairs up on his chin. <laughs> think I ought to get him a little lace. A little silk. 
Bless your sweetheart if he kept looking toward that generation. Nobody ever told him that. Nobody ever told him that. He looks around at this young man and said, uh, The world is getting overpopulated. What do you think we ought to do? You know what that generation said? Let's make abortion legal. If he kept looking to our forefathers, honey, and if he kept looking to those that passed by and out of the scene, he'd never have legalized abortion. He looks back at that crowd and said, what are, we, what are we going to do? I mean, this world is closing in on me. What are we going to do? Well, let's get high on drugs. Am I right? He looks back at this generation and said, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, people are getting married and divorced and, and just married and divorced. It costs, you've got to pay the preacher uh, at least $10. And, and then you get divorced. It costs about 500 That's sick, ain't it? Is that sick? That is sick. Sick. So instead of, paying, instead of wasting a good $10 bill on the little heifer, and instead of having a divorce about six months down the road, they would have shacked up together. That's what that generation taught this generation. But if that generation kept looking the way we ought to look, we wouldn't have this living situation. I performed a marriage the other, not too long ago, young lady, and I met a mother, and I, I was really impressed by a mother, looked like a decent woman. After that marriage, I found out the mother, David, was living with a man out of wedlock. You know where the mother got that? She said, doing what her granny done. She turned around, looked at the past. Am I right? Paul said, you forget that which is there. And you keep on reaching out yonder the way your forefathers lived. You, you, now I'm through, I think. But I want you to see the vanity and vainness of looking back. You know what we've got? We've got men that's trying to be boys. We've got men running around tennis shoes on in the church house. see, don't you? Live by convictions, church. Young people, you listen to your preacher a minute. If you've got convictions, when you're tempted, when you're tempted outside of marriage for an adulterous relationship, you won't do it if you've got convictions. You make up your mind, I'm going to have convictions about that. No boy is going to touch me where he shouldn't until we get married. And if he tries to do it, I'll quote Miss Bonnie, dot both his eyes. But that's convictions. Well, I, I, will, I want the benefits of Christianity, preacher. I want to enjoy the church. But I want to get over there in the world, too. You know what you've got, buddy? You've got preferences. And your preferences are going to lead you to disaster. You get convictions right now when somebody dangles a beer bottle in front of your nose. You've got convictions about drinking. I've got convictions about drinking. Tim, I, I, I remember when, when uh, somebody in your family got married and Tim came to me and he said, uh, Preacher, what am I going to do? He said, they're going to offer, they're going to offer alcoholic beverages. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, I'm going to turn it down. And they came out and had the little, pretty little crystal glass. And Tim and Dawn turned it upside down. And when that servant came by with a wine, he just looked up and said, no. Didn't make a big deal out of it. Just turned his glass upside down. You keep pouring wine in the glass when it's upside down. Didn't make a big deal out of it, but just live by convictions. Just live by convictions. Get convictions. 
get convictions. Daddy, get some convictions about your home. Mom, get some convictions about your life. Children, get some convictions. If you've got convictions about doing right, old devil will come try to get you to do wrong, but if you've got convictions, your convictions will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've got preferences, they'll change today, tomorrow, and all the future. They'll change as the moon changes. But if you've got convictions, they won't ever change. I, there's, a, there's a granny and a daughter and grandchildren that come to this church that right back there. Now, for that daughter, what she needs to do is to keep on looking to that mother of hers. And that granddaughter, keep on looking to mama. Mama can get it from granny. Daughter can get it from mama. And then daughter can pass it on to that baby that's not been born yet. You forget the past. That's where the future's at. You keep your eye ahead. That's where the past is. Keep marching. That's what made our nation great. That's what made America great. Is because we kept looking ahead to those that had walked the trail before us. And said, bless God, they're the standard bearers. They're the standard bearers. You say, how can I get, how can I get godly conviction about dress? Pick out the finest Christian woman that you know and watch her and imitate her. Pick out the finest Christian woman you know and say, that's the way I want to live. And do it. And get people to talk to people. Talk to people. You'd be surprised how much knowledge and wisdom your parents have. If you just talk to them. Convictions or preferences. I hope you get convictions tonight. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I really don't know how to give this invitation other than just give it and say, God's people, I, I want you to do in my mind and listen and obey. I pray that you would use the preaching. I pray that you would use the illustration. I pray, Father, tonight that there would be some folks that will say, I'm getting some convictions. I'm not going into some adulterous relationship. I don't care if the whole world does it. I'm not going to do it. I don't care if the whole world goes out here and starts their socializing and social drinking. I am going to have convictions about it. I'm not going to do it. There are certain places that as a child of God, I cannot go. There are certain people as a child of God, I cannot run with. And I'm going to have conviction about it. There are certain Bibles that call themselves Bibles that are not Bibles, and I'm going to have conviction about it. And there are certain buildings that call themselves churches that are not churches, and I'm going to have some convictions about it. Oh, God, give us convictions. <clears throat> Let me close this thing down with a personal note. I've had person after person to come to me and say, Brother Jim, change your convictions. But because there were convictions, they couldn't change. And I lost their friendship. And I lost their fellowship. And, and with all of my heart, Dave, I want to reach out to them and say, don't leave. Come back. I love you. I've been your pastor for so long. I've prayed for you. I've stood by you when you're sick, visited when you're in a hospital, buried you dead. Don't leave. Don't leave. Everything inside me cried out like that. And only me, God, my wife and son can tell you the devastating effect that has on me when something like that happens. It, oh honey, it half kills me and it, it's almost like a death in the family. And I cry, I cry. Barbara seen me cry. Rusty seen me cry. 
Sometimes I've got to go out in the woods and be alone. Sometimes I've got to get in the car and drive. Sometimes I go for days and weeks. Hard to get over it. But I've got some convictions. They said, change, preacher, and we'll stay. My old flesh said, go ahead and change, but my conviction says you can't. And it would please me just all right if I can die living by convictions. Certain things you can't do. No matter how much you want to do them, you can't do them because you've got convictions. Do you have convictions? If you don't, your preferences are going to ruin your life. Your preferences, following preferences instead of convictions, will destroy you. And if they don't destroy you, they definitely, definitely, definitely will destroy the next generation. Father, again, my prayer is, have your way. These people are intelligent people. They know what the Holy Spirit's inviting them to do, and I pray by the grace of God they will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I will stand just as I am. You know the song, just as I am without one plea. Join this man's already come to pray. Convictions. Convictions.